Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I am your host, Annie F. Downs, and I am so glad to be here with you today. Happy Easter. I hope you had a great Lent season. It was so good to be in that all together, to have so many people reading the She Reads Truth and He Reads Truth plans, the conversations online. I really enjoyed it and am very thankful for that season and thankful for Easter. So I hope you had a great Easter Sunday. In the background is our friend Ellie Holcomb and one of the songs from her new album, Red Sea Road. I hope you have grabbed that by now. Today on the podcast is a dear friend of mine, thank you to the internet, Tish Oxenreiter. She has been an author, a blogger, a podcast host. You can find everything from Tish on theartofsimple.net. Her new book, At Home in the World, came out this week. And I just, I remember seeing her maybe three weeks before she was leaving for this year long. And I thought, man, I'm going to miss Tish. And it was just amazing to watch their journey on this year-long trip around the world. And now the book, her memoir about that experience is out. And I just wanted her to tell us about it and to talk about all the things, including starting with Enneagram. I hope you guys are okay with it. We just like went for it with Enneagram. I just love it. I love talking about it. So um, here is my conversation with Tish. I'm sure people would love to hear us talk for 10 hours. Oh, can you imagine? They would lose their minds. I would lose my mind if I had to listen to me for 10 hours. I've never listened to my audiobooks. Have you listened to your audiobooks? Oh, so this past week, my podcast is a sample of the audiobook. And I'm like, oh my gosh, people are listening to it. I hate that. And which is hilarious because when they listen to our podcast, they are listening to (laughs) us. I know, but somehow it's different. I don't know. It's like, here's what I spent forever working on. What do you think? Tell me on Amazon. (laughs) That's right. Oh, it's so, listen, I know. I don't read reviews anywhere. Do you read? I don't read podcast reviews. I don't read book reviews. Oh, no. I, oh, no. I hate anything remotely to do with me. Like, oh. whenever um, I have to ask for endorsements from people, yeah. like, I'll ask them, and then when they send it back, I don't even read those, because I'm oh, like, oh, right. I feel squirmy. Right. I just <laughs> send it straight on. I'm just like, good, good yeah. luck, good luck, good luck, even though, I'm, A, I know it's friends, and B, they're endorsing the book. And so yeah. it's going to be nice. Right. It still feels weird, though. Do you know, Tish, I, know. I do a similar thing. If I send, like, gutsy text messages or like if I send something I'm scared what the answer is going to be I like throw my phone across the room <laughs> I'm like I don't I don't need to know the answer to this for seven hours so I'm gonna go I live my that. life I'm not even gonna work you know if I'm like so like do you want to be friends or what throw my phone and then it's just gone <laughs> I love that that is so I me but I just um, never yeah you should do it or I just hand it. your phone to one of your kids and let them play a game Right. Well, you know, Kyle gets my um, contact form thing online because I yeah. don't want to know, like, hate mail or love mail. Like, he'll send it to me. If, he'll send it to me if there's a legit, like, I need to see this. But otherwise, yeah. he just fields everything for me. Right. Oh, I like that. I That's well done. Know. I need to get me a Kyle, or I need to just hire right. Kyle to also right, look exactly. through Annie F. Downs' contact forms because that is <laughs> not it. how it goes for me. I see all those puppies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so, Tish, we do need to – I did this a couple weeks ago as well with John Mark Comer where we just, like, jump in with Enneagram because I'm trying to get my people to love two things, Enneagram and international soccer. <laughs> oh, I can help you with one of those. <laughs> okay, so what is your Enneagram number? I am I am a counter type four, which is a whole thing that's I never knew about till I actually started meeting with an Enneagram coach because Ooh. I thought I was either a three or a five four years, and she only recently helped me see that I was a counter type four. Okay, Isn't that now weird? that is a lot more words than I'm used to because I just tell people I'm a seven, but of course right, sevens are only sevens. <laughs> well, and I could have seen that from a mile away. So <laughs> Thank yeah, you. yeah. Thank you. I would have never <laughs> yeah. pegged you as a four. Our friend Emily P. Freeman is also a four. I know. And that's why, I mean, literally that's about the first reaction I get from everybody is, oh, you don't seem like a four. And I was talking with her. I was talking with her yesterday because I had another meeting with her, which by the way, if you've never met with an Enneagram coach, do it because it's amazing. Yeah. And she was telling me that that's usually pretty common for counter types because a counter type is somebody who does not look like your typical number. So apparently each type has three subtypes just to make this even more confusing. That is unbelievable. I know. So there's a total of 27, really. Um, and each one of those three types is a counter type within each type. Can That's I say type stupid. more? That's so <laughs> stupid. That's way yeah, too I much. Yeah, I know. I know. 
so I'm a counter type four. And the reason it's I'm still a four is because my whole like what drives me is the same as a typical sure, four sure. in terms of the need to be original and Oh, you're a my, snowflake. I know. All of you guys. I'm sorry. I know. But here's the thing, since I'm a counter type four, I'm special even among the fours. So boom, <laughs> fours. You right? are the best type of four. Like not only I'm am I a four, a four, I'm a forty four. That's what exactly. you are. Yes. Well, I'd exactly. like to believe that I'm a 77. Like, not only am I a seven, not only am I going to go to a party with sevens, I'm going to throw the party for the sevens. <laughs> you know what? I think sevens are like the cool kids at the in the cafeteria. You know, like I would want to be a seven and I would be the most awkward seven ever. So I like, I mean, every seven I know, it's like, oh, that's why I like you. But see, here's what seven. every Tigger needs an Eeyore. Like, we just need fours. Like, we need fours yeah. to remind us that that everything. And, <laughs> and my four friends, you, Emily, my buddy Josh Donahue, that y'all help me remember, like, that feeling my pain is not scary. Mm. You know, because where? Sure. So you don't throw your phone across the room when you send a text so you don't know how it's going to respond <laughs> because you don't run from pain. You hold it and hope that the response makes you feel something you've never <laughs> felt before. Well, and- but here's the weird thing. Okay, so here's what makes me a counter type and why I also didn't think I was a four for a while is because I'm not your classic melodramatic four who enjoys all the ups and downs of the roller coaster. So a, a counter type four is called like a self preservation for or something and what they do is instead of like channeling all their angst and their envy into feeling they channel it into hard work so I'm, oh I'm you kinda, totally do tish i know you i'm totally kind of weird that do. way right that so is I'm a deep how feeler, you are like but i cope with that by doing so much work Right, and instead, and because I actually hate drama, I'm not into the yeah, drama I've thing. Never, yeah, I've never. I would have never. And I thought the same about that. Emily. Emily doesn't like live and breathe yeah. on that stuff. Right, right. Which you know what? The, maybe this is a, a good thing. My coach was saying yesterday. Sometimes when people don't look like their types, that's also because they're healthy because they're working yeah, through their stuff. That's right. That's so right. Maybe maybe there's something to that. That Who is knows, true. Really. Okay. So do you yeah. treat your enneagram coach as another? counselor or do you, I mean, would you see counselor as well? Like a, just a life counselor? She tells me on the regular, I'm not a counselor. So so don't treat me like one, but, um, I have seen counselors before in the past. I'm just not doing both right now, Sure, but it's a different thing. So coaching, I don't know if you've ever gone through coaching, like any kind of like life coach, business coach. I know I've heard it's great. Okay, go ahead. Well, and I'm, I'm training, I'm working on becoming one. So to oh, me, it's cool. super interesting. And I'm actually starting to meet with people one-on-one in a coaching setting. And I love it. <gasps> That's so and cool. What a coach does is they just ask questions. They ask really good questions and help you unearth and unpack what's already there and what you actually probably already know. You just can't see it. So it's like just somebody walking alongside you and pointing out the view and oh, helping you name good. what's in your backpack and yeah. that kind of stuff. And so it, it's really good and healthy and stuff, but it's not like working through your deep, dark stuff or, right. you know, it's not like counseling in that way. Right. Okay. So what's your, so you're training to step into coaching? <laughs> yeah. Like I'm working on, um, like this summer after the book launch and all that crazy stuff, I'm going to go through, um, certification so I can become that, but you can start logging hours ahead of time because you need certain number of hours. And so I'm starting to meet with people, um, one-on-one via Skype, which is really fun about a variety of topics. So like some of it's writing, some of it's cross-cultural preparedness from our experience, all that good stuff. So yeah, it's fun. That is really fun. And then you, I mean, the whole, the fact that you create more work for yourself, you, you work hard in to, uh, to deal with the emotions. I mean, because Tish, here's what's true. You're probably my friend that has the most output of products. It amazes me. <laughs> Every time I turn around, you're like, here's another email or here's another ebook I've written or here's another book coming out or here's another podcast episode. I'm like, that woman raises three children, is building a house from scratch practically by hand. <laughs> I mean, y'all are operating out of a kitchen that was a bucket for a while. Am I right? Right. <laughs> Pretty much. And you lived around. I mean, it's just insane. Have you always been like that? Do you have you always operated at like a high capacity level? Kind of, and that's not exactly a good thing, right? I mean, well, that's actually a thing. It probably is. Well, as long as you're doing it from a place of health, you know, sure. and not a place of like this is my identity or this is how I matter, and sure, this sure, gets sure. all this all deep. And so that's the thing I have to work with. Like, okay, this doesn't make me. This doesn't define my worth. But I enjoy. Yeah, I. I guess I'm also just super practical, rational. So if I'm going to spend time on something, I want it to 
count for something, which I don't know. That's, that's a whole other weird thing, I guess. But I mean, it might also seem like I do more than I do. You know how sometimes there are people like that in your life where it's like, how are you constantly doing stuff when really there's a lot of stuff I'm not doing sure. and it's easy to forget about the stuff you people don't do. You yeah, know? that's true. So what would you say is like, Annie, here's one thing I'm not doing. Okay. So, you know, yeah, you say I, um, we're building a house from scratch. I mean, we're actually renovating a fixer upper. I like Kyle does all the cooking. I don't right. cook yeah. right now anyway. I enjoy cooking. I can cook. But right now, he's just taking care of all that. He takes the kids to school and picks them up. Like, we've we've kind of got this thing in our family where, yeah, we're both doing the kid thing. But practically, he's the one doing the, the errand running. So I can, like, get into deep work mode. I try to be done by, like, 5, 6 so I can just be all on family time. But he's doing a lot of that stuff that... I know a lot of moms also juggle with. So we're kind of weird in that way. That's really interesting. How what, did you, um, how do I phrase this? How did you deal with that, the roles in the family kind of stuff? Have, <laughs> has this been trial and error or was it just a natural falling into or what's yeah. that been like for y'all? Oh my gosh. It's okay. So this is a whole other thing. You know, when you, when you grow up in a certain culture that tells you this is what it's supposed to look like. And I would argue that, you know, some of our American Christian culture really drives us home. Um, it's easy to just kind of assume, well, this is what you're supposed to do. Well, then we move overseas and we experience just everything going upside down in terms of, you know, what's actual, like, God ordained black and yeah. white and what's just gray. Cultist Are you talking stuff. about this start- last time when you moved overseas when you did the year or before and earlier? No, in your I'm talking about like Kosovo and then Turkey when we were actually living overseas yes, for got a long time. Um, so that kind of stuff really starts kind of digging up some stuff, peeling away some onions, onion layers, I mean, and revealing sort of these things about ourselves. And I mean, Kyle and I are both just unique to our own personalities. Like he's unique for a guy. He, he's, um, kind of a nurturing type, very, um, low, I don't mean low energy in a bad way, but in, he's a nine on the Enneagram. Oh, I love and male nines. I know. They're, they're my amazing. favorite. They are my favorite <laughs> number. I forever am crushing on male nines. Right. They're I know. Favorite. They're pretty great. Yeah. They're pretty I mean, I've never crushed on your husband, just to be clear. I love him. <laughs> let's but, just say Yeah, that. let's just say this out loud. I love him. And he is very oh, nurturing. No, Every time I'm around him, he's always, he asks really, I care for you questions. Yes. Yes. That's the thing he's really great at. I mean, you know, he has his own stuff too, and he struggles with that. And there's some nine stuff that's hard. But really... It's almost like we were both made for these kind of unique roles. And because we've always lived unconventionally, I mean, we met as singles doing unconventional things. So it's just kind of been part of our DNA. It didn't feel like a total change. It's not like he was some CEO on Wall Street and I was a stay-at-home mom and suddenly we flipped. We've always been kind of like unique. So it wasn't a big change. It was just more a little bit of needing to be okay with sticking it to the culture a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it still feels that way. I mean, we still struggle with that. And not struggle, but we still deal with that. Right, you know, we, right. we are still different, and that's okay, though. Yeah, do the kids ever think about it or talk about it? They don't even know it's a thing. They don't yeah. know that most dads don't cook all the meals. Right, you know? right. Uh, that's just sort of what they are used to. And I like that our boys get to see that, you know, Kyle is, he's a former contractor. So he's building, he's doing the fixer upper all himself, which is why it's taking forever, but we're saving a a ton of money doing it that way. So they're seeing him like woodwork and do the plumbing and the electricity and all this stuff. But then they're seeing him make dinner. And I really like that. I think that's a great thing for boys to see. I do too. What a great balance of like, there isn't a thing in this home that is a mommy only thing. <laughs> oh my gosh, no, not at all. Right. Or a daddy oh, yeah. only thing. You know, like there's right. just like a we're a family, we're a team. We all do this together. Yeah, I think that's right. Except like they probably only call him dad and only call you mom, which should be mommy and daddy oh, yeah. only thing. So Yeah. <laughs> I was like processing when I said that and I was like, I mean, there are probably a few things that are <laughs> mommy centric and daddy centric. But as far as like traditionally it is yeah, not exactly. Quite, yeah. They, they, it doesn't cross their minds. So, right. yep. Does he ever, right. is he ever on your podcast, The Simple Show? <laughs> we did one time while we were on the road because we were getting um, on our big, long, round the world trip because we were getting so many questions that people just wanted to hear from both of us. So we did it in like fits and spurts because also, 
you'll appreciate this as a podcaster. It was really hard to coordinate interviews because sometimes it would be like three in the morning for me or you'd show up at a guest house and turns out the internet's terrible, right. that kind of thing. Right. <laughs> and so it's like, well, Kyle, you want to be on the show? Yeah. So <laughs> you're Kids, right next to me. your turn. So, Sit down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. He doesn't love, he's not a big public speaker kind of guy. Um, he's pretty soft spoken and so he doesn't love it, but he's willing to. And I want to have him on again sometime. I yeah. think it'd be fun. I love your show, by the way. I think it is really Aww. fun. Y'all do once a week as well? We do weekly. We used to do every other week, but we bumped it up because I just liked it. So I like it more than blogging. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. I feel Um, the same way. Don't tell our blogs, but I feel the same way. (laughs) Yeah, it's so much fun. And so to me, it was almost just an excuse to do that. So I don't blog as much anymore, but um, I love the podcast. Tell me what you think about blogging these days. What are your... What are your thoughts on, because my blogging life has changed significantly from when I started in 2006. Um, but I would love to know, what, what are your thoughts about what's happening with blogs right now and the, what <laughs> people are reading? Yeah. Well, okay. Well, first of all, I got to say that I loved your recent post. The oh, one, thank you. Which is a whole thing I know about, about makeup. not wearing like, makeup on lint. Yeah. Yeah, man. That was so good. You're very So kind. here's the thing. I'm people still read blogs. So it's not like I, I'm not a big like blogging is dead person. I think that's, that's, you know, hyperbole. And honestly, I don't know if you've heard this, but only one out of five people in the US have ever even listened to a podcast. So it's still like, even though we're totally immersed in this, it's still kind of a novelty to a lot of people. And so I think reaching just the um, entry level kind of internet user blogging is still good because it's, it doesn't require some kind of fancy technology that people aren't used to. Um, not that, not that podcasting does, but you know what I mean. And so I'm still a fan of that, but I think of blogging a little bit more as like, I hate the word content because that makes it sound so robotic, but it's one form of creating content. So there are some people who just have an amazing Instagram feed because they're artists and they do really cool work. And then there's some people that are writers, and so they they have an amazing blog. And then there's some people who have great podcasts, and some people do a little of all of it. So to me, it's not like blogging is the top of the pyramid and all these other things are below that it that is anymore. how it used to be five, ten years yeah. ago, seven years ago. Let's do in the middle. Blogging was the top of the pyramid, and everything came off of how you handled right. your blog. Exactly. And yeah. so now I think it's a little bit just flatter. You know what I mean? It's it's more along the lines with everything else. Yeah, that's it's one of the reasons every podcast episode we put out, we do a post on the blog. Because there are people who still go to my blog who are every episode go, oh, you have a podcast. <laughs> and I go, yeah, we're like in the 40s. Like we have 40 yes. plus episodes at this point. So, and I loved, <laughs> yeah. I just listened to a This American Life with Ira Glass where he, have you heard the one where he talked about his elderly neighbor that he was friends with that passed away? No, tell me. Oh, it's so, it's be- it's a beautiful story, but it's just the tail end of this one episode. I'll link to it in the show notes when, so that people can find it. But it's this episode about listening to adults. And one of the, th- and he, uh, the main thing I want to tell you about is that he, what he did, she was like 88, and he and her sat down together and made a video about how to listen to podcasts. Oh, my for, gosh. Like people, because you're right, one in five. I mean, that's like amazingly low compared to, because in our small circle it's probably one in one and a half you know of like we're not not only are we listening to podcasts but we're talking about have you listened to this particular podcast for example did you listen to missing richard simmons oh my gosh yes well okay the first two episodes and then i just have gotten behind and i'm seeing spoilers so i get what happens but that was phenomenal and i loved six episodes for 30 minutes like that's three hours of your life. We're not doing 19 episodes, an hour and a half each. It's three hours of your life, six 30-minute episodes, and then it's done. I'm like, maybe that's well, that was the my concern. Way. That was my concern when I first saw it out. It was like, how long can this thing go? I mean, yeah, right. About one person. But yeah, I agree. And here's something that's interesting about podcasting, because my, my parents are in their 60s, and they have both talked to me about how they think it's crazy. These kids these days don't pick up their phone. They only text. Um, and what they see it as is like a step back in technology. Like they're saying, we can talk to each other. Why would you send like equivalent of digital telegrams to each other? Because they think texting is moving backwards. (laughs) And so my dad, my dad recently told me, I don't get this podcasting thing because to me, it's like you have television. Why would you go back to radio? (laughs) Oh, interesting. He sees it as like this weird, why are all the kids into podcasts these days? (laughs) Which... 
I, I think is interesting because, I don't know, to me it's a really, uh, it's a medium that meets a felt need for yeah. like more deep dives and more yeah, conversations I and agree. more voices instead of just like pixels on a screen, you know? Yeah. And I do think it says, I mean, it's the same thing as people wanting organic food or wanting farm to table. It's the same feel of like, there is a simplicity. We've seen all the movies. We've seen the screens and we still love them, but there is something about listening and good storytelling and interesting interview. You know, like for me, and I love it because I'm not going to be currently, maybe I will be someday, but I'm currently not the woman who has a TV in her kitchen. And so if I'm cooking something like once a month, <laughs> I'd like to have, a, I, I've listened to a podcast. I listen to you or Alec Baldwin or Jamie Ivey or This American Life or Serial or the Bethel Sermons or, you know, like I listen yeah. to a variety when I'm doing other things. For sure. And I have different rhythms to my week. Like, you know, when I'm in like Monday or Tuesday, I want to be inspired and think about my work. And so I'll listen to like some business or writer or entrepreneurial one. And then by like Friday, I want to listen to the podcast or or oh, wait, I've wait, heard don't tell so me. Good. I've heard the podcast is so good. Oh, Annie, you have to listen to that one if you okay. haven't yet. I haven't at love all. It. People love it. I think Melanie Shankle told me how great it was. Some friend of ours told me how great it was, and I, yeah. I just haven't gotten into it. It's fantastic. Knox and Jamie are the best people. You would love them, okay. actually. You Do you would know love. them in real life? Um, we know each other well enough to talk, and Jamie and I are going to meet this summer. So, okay. yes-ish. You yeah. know how it is on the internet. <laughs> right. Seriously, where you're like, yes, I know them. I mean, we're going to sit in the same room and talk about things that we already know about each other. I could not tell <laughs> exactly. you their middle name. Could not tell you where they went to high school. Could not tell you their right. favorite color. I know. Exactly. The internet is the strangest. Uh, but I'd like to thank it for making us friends, too. Right, I wouldn't have been exactly. friends with you without the internet. Um, okay, let's talk about your new book. For starters, the book before this, Blue Bicycle, right? Yeah. Was one of my very favorites in the last couple of years. I just loved Aww. it. I thought it was so interesting. And then you go on a year-long trip with your kids, right? That's what At Home in This World is about. Is Y'all just packed it all up and went around the world for an entire year. Yeah. Yeah. So, but this was like something we had been planning just sort of quietly for probably five years. Like I, Kyle and I were talking about this idea when our youngest was a newborn or maybe even I was pregnant with him still. And when we finally went on the trip, he was four and a half. So maybe not quite five years, but a long time. Yeah. So this wasn't like a, Hey, next week, let's go around the world. Right. So we had been right. thinking about it for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what made it something y'all wanted to do with little kids? Cause it's not like you took three teenagers. Right. Yeah. The kids were, when we left, they were nine, six, and four. So they were all little guys. Um, we had been overseas. We met overseas, as I already said. And so it was in our DNA to live or be cross-cultural in some form. And when we moved back to Turkey, it was really sudden and very unexpected and not our plan. There were a lot of reasons, mostly to do with health, that we had to come back. And so we were both kind of mourning the loss of raising our kids a little more globally than what we felt like we were able to in the States. And it's not that we couldn't, but we were just still feeling that loss. And so we had this idea of like, we can still expose our kids to some of the world. And honestly, there's a lot of families out here, out there in the world that do this. You just have to look. So if like you were to ever Google digital nomad or, or in location independent families or whatever, you'll see tons of people out there that do yeah, this. Cause that. Even that that's a phrase, location independent families. I've literally never heard that. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. I know, but it's a thing. So honestly, I feel like we're sort of, um, I mean, talk about adventurous. There are some families out there who have done this for 10 years no and way. it's crazy. And these kids don't know any different. So yeah, we're, we're not that, I mean, we're, we're kind of lightweights compared to them, but we just wanted to have this experience. Um, one of the reasons we did it when they were young is because, well, we didn't want them too young. We wanted everybody potty trained. Yes, we wanted, the Lord. <laughs> yeah. And we wanted everybody to be able to carry their own packs, at least for a significant amount of time. Um, and so we waited till our youngest was four. But then Tate, our oldest, we didn't want to wait too late to where it would be hard to uproot her from a lot of stuff. And, you know, of course, you're still uprooting a little bit. But, you know, once you get into like 13, 14-year-old and then just uproot their their life, it would be a lot more challenging. Not that we don't want to do this again, because we do, but um, we thought, okay, this is a great window of time. So I don't know. We just did it because we wanted to is the easy answer, yeah. honestly. And so when you say they had to carry their packs, did, you, did everyone just have a backpack worth of things? Y'all didn't take suitcases? No, we all had backpacks. Tish, um, hardcore. <laughs> that is hardcore. 
Girl, I can't even go for a weekend trip in a backpack. I don't know if you remember this, but back when I was planning it, I asked on social media what shape of jeans I should wear. Like, should I do boot cut or should I do skinnies? Do you remember this at all? Because yes. you answered with like, you have to do skinny jeans. And and then you went on this, like, I can't imagine what you're about to do. I yes. just can't. I don't know. I found it funny and cool. <laughs> but you know what? It was one of my favorite parts of the trip, only having a backpack. And there's, and I think it's, there's just something about having limited choices. Yep. And like a uniform at school. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, honestly, I mean, of course it did get tiring. I remember by like, I don't know, we were in Italy and everybody's looking gorgeous. And I'm like, well, I have these three t-shirts again. Right. <laughs> I guess I'll wear this one. <laughs> right. You know, that part got tiring. But honestly, I love just not having to think about all that for yeah. a year. It was really nice. Yeah. Did you, I mean, personally as a woman, was that hard ever? Like the Italy thing, like was, did you have to face some of your own insecurities or was it just like, Hey, this is just how it goes. No. Oh, there was total insecurities. There was, I mean, there are a few countries where I just constantly felt out of style and I just had to swallow that pride. I mean, first of all, when you're planning, you know, you try to do this sort of capsule wardrobe-ish packing. You don't want to come in looking like an American with jogging suits and, you know, running shoes. So I tried to pack a little bit stylishly while still, you know, manageable. And yet it's still impossible to pack perfectly for 30 countries, you know, at different seasons of the year. Yeah. Cause didn't y'all chase the sun? Isn't that how you did it? Yeah. You tried to all always be in summer. Yeah. We ended up buying sweaters in France because we got there in February and it was freezing, but, and that's fine, you know, but we knew that was going to happen, but cause for a long time we were in 90 degree temps through probably, uh, landing in France in February. Um, and when did you start? Remind me when y'all left the U.S. We left in September, okay. so um, for a school year. So we, um, there were a few countries where, like Hong Kong, was one where everybody looked so put together, and I felt so not put together. And then, of course, like France and Italy, and and once you get into um, Europe, but you know what, Africa, they tend to dress up a lot too in some countries, and so. I felt like I needed to look presentable and respectable to you there. <laughs> right. And the only time y'all bought clothes was a sweater in France. Well, there were times for the kids, we replaced a few things. And I'm trying to remember, I think I bought, you know, I bought a shirt in Australia. I found a Target and that was really fun. Yeah. Like, ooh, Target. And so I bought something just to kind of feel like a person, Yeah. you know? But, <laughs> totally. <laughs> but I did return some things. Like I shipped some stuff back to my parents. Um, so it was an exchange, you know what I mean? Like I, I always had more or less three things, three tops. Yeah. Yeah. That is amazing. And then y'all were staying in guest houses. So you had washer dryer, all that kind of stuff. Or were you hand washing? Uh, both. So most of the time we had washer dryer, but every now and then we wouldn't. And we had this thing, it's called a scrubber. And it's a, it's a, it started on Kickstarter years ago, but now it's a thing you can find at REI. It's a bag, a wash bag where you fill it up with, um, water and soap and your clothes. And then you roll it down, you suck out all the air and then you knead it kind of like bread. Yeah. And it's got a built-in washboard inside, like a bendy one. And it washes your clothes. So you could wash clothes from anywhere and you don't have to just do that nasty sink thing. Um, so we use that a lot too. That is so cool. Yeah, it was fancy. <laughs> what did it do for, if this isn't a spoiler for the book at Home in the World, what did it do for your kids as far as how they feel about each other? It, well, we went through these ebbs and flows. So there were sure. times when we all wanted to kill each Tate's other. Tate's the only girl. Child. Tate's the only girl. And here's the other thing. We, we would run into friends and we would make friends. And for whatever reason, they all had boys. Oh, wow. And so it wasn't. It wasn't until we met up with Joy Forney. I don't know if you know who she is. Yeah, Yeah, the Forneys in Uganda, that there was even a girl for her to hang out with. And that was like six months into the trip. So for her, it was a very, um, it was a growing experience for her in a good way. Like, I don't know if you remember being nine, but nine can be kind of volatile for a girl. Yep. And And I taught fourth grade and fifth grade for five years. So I lived with nine-year-olds. Yes. Okay. You know. Um, and so it was a cool experience for her to walk through that um, at that age. But honestly, there were times when it was just, I mean, we were in such tight quarters, all five of us. And at the, the kids were still a little too young for us to feel good about leaving alone for just like an hour long date. So Kyle and I had like two or three dates for the whole year. And there were definitely times when we were like, oh, my gosh, what are we doing? This is insane. But you know, we managed obviously. And honestly, now the bonding that's happened, the ripple effect afterwards 
makes it so worth it because we still have all these inside stories that the, only the five of us know. Yeah. And I'm so excited about that for like decades, you know? Yeah. So that's an interesting point because when you wrote the book, did you write while you were traveling? No, I, I tried to for like the first two weeks. And I'm like, forget this. This yeah. isn't going to work. Yeah. And the reason is, I mean, yeah, there was the busyness, the time thing. But the reason for me is that I needed time to process. I didn't, I didn't know yet what I thought about China. I needed to be away from China for a month before I could even start thinking about sure, what did I think about that, sure. you know? And so, yeah. How did y'all decide, I guess maybe you and Kyle or maybe you involved the kids too. How did you decide what stories stayed inside stories and what went in the book? Oh, yeah. That was hard. I mean, honestly, when somebody reads the book, they're going to just get a fingernail scratch worth of the experience. Um, a lot of it is, you know, I, I don't know if you're this way when you write, but I start writing and then I suddenly realize, oh, this is what I'm supposed to tell. Yeah. This is what I'm yeah. supposed to say. I sat down to do something else and it turns out, no, it's this. Yeah. And then you trash and the so, first 500 words because you're like, it wasn't oh, about yeah, this you're like, in the first place. Terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so there were things I thought I was going to share that I ended up not, and then vice versa. And so to me, it was a lot more of like, what is, what's the story that needs to be told? And, and so there was a loose plan, but it wasn't really a, you know, a big, I, I did ask for permission for people if I'm allowed to say things. Like there were times, like Tate was really brave and cool with me, um, with her letting me talk about how she vomited all over the Beijing metro. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but she was really like, oh, I don't know, mom. But she ended up saying, okay, that's fine. Because she read it and it was very, it wasn't, you know, <laughs> disgusting. Yeah, and it, that's right. Yeah, I don't that's know. Right. So she was cool with it. But I, I did ask her permission. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, that's what we have to do. You know, I'm working on a new book now and I, people keep saying, what is it about? And I was like, well, I can tell you the outline, but that's never the book I write. <laughs> like, right. like, I get started on it and then almost always five out of five times so far, it's been different than what I sat down to do. Oh yeah. Every time. And so then when you do a trip, like what y'all did, where the, where the book is meant to mark this year journey, it has to be fascinating that what, what actually comes out even to you. Yeah. Yeah. And what's funny is like the kids or Kyle will read through it and they'll even say things like, I didn't know that because a lot of it is my personal take on things. You know, I can't basically share all five of our experiences, even though we all did the same things, but it's still my take and it's still what I'm learning. Because the way I describe the book a lot is it, it is a memoir. It's a travel memoir, but it's also a book about home and the setting is our trip. And, and so it's a lot of my thoughts on what does it mean to be at home, to be in community, to live somewhere and stick it through even when it's boring or not exciting all that kind of stuff. And those were my thoughts and not necessarily everyone else's. Yeah. That's one of the most interesting thing to me as the, on the author side of having family and friends that I write about is they will, people will say, I didn't know you felt that way about me. Like in a good way, like I didn't know you would have ever said that about me, or I didn't know that you were feeling that. And, and let's all be brave. I wrote about the worst breakup of my life, like this really painful breakup at Baja Burrito. And when I sent it to the man, you know, the problem is I wrote about before he picked me up, what I was feeling when it was happening and what happened after he dropped me off. He didn't know uh-huh. any of that. Right. Yeah, so right. you just right. have to be like, hey, here's all the insight. <laughs> Bye. Here's all the stuff. Yeah. Good thing we're already right. broken up. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> it's done now. Well, and, and like part of what I, I share about my middle guy, Reed, he has a lot of sensory issues. Um, and he, I mean, which actually makes him a great traveler, but some of the stuff that I'm processing as a parent about Reed, he only sees as just like the concrete, this is what happened. So for example, I talk about how in China, he started swimming on his own, which before that he was never like let go of the wall of the pool. And suddenly he was doing it without even like noticing it. And I kind of made this comment of like, do you realize what you're doing? He's like, oh yeah, I'm swimming now, huh? And to me, this is like, amazing life-changing moment and from a six-year-old's perspective he's like I'm now swimming in a pool what's the big deal yeah that's right so that kind of stuff you know and I talk about how he asked me if I would stop holding his hand so much in Germany and that was sort of a big moment for me as a mom and he's just thinking stop holding my hand it's annoying mom right (laughs) right right he's not processing (laughs) you know a friend and I were talking yesterday and about what was the moment you realized that your parents were humans not just your parents And so I'm sure being a kid and reading a book that your mom is writing and seeing things like that, the moment is like, oh, my mom's not just my mom. She's a person. Yes. I remember that when I was a kid. That's an interesting topic. Right? I know. That's a weird... 
That's weird when that happens. I mean, it ends up being a good thing, but when it first happens, you're like, oh, I don't like this. No, you need to stay my parents. Yeah, exactly. Wait, y'all like talk about adult things. Yeah, I, I, I remember really clearly. <laughs> I remember where my parents were sitting, what they were talking about when I had this blink of like, oh, they're people. They're like, they like were something before I was here. You know, yes, they had their own life. Yeah, they don't exist because I exist. It's the other way around, right? right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And so I would imagine, and I, you know, when I think forward to having kids and continuing to write books, like, you know, I've written six books at least before I've had a kid. And so they're going to have this like backstory. And the same goes for your kids. They have all these books they can read of yours that existed before they could read. Yeah. Fascinating. I know. I saw Reed reading uh, Blue Bike a few months ago, and it was like, oh, my gosh, what did I say? Is there anything I don't want him to know about? Oh, no. Well, it's out in the public. Why would I, you know, he's going to read it at some point, so might as right. well be now. Do you know? know, I hilariously said to someone the other day, I don't, I, they said, I'm going to read Looking for Lovely. And I said, but I wouldn't tell you all that yet. Right? Like, <laughs> I, you can, but I'm saying to you, in our relationship, I would not tell you everything yet that you will learn by reading that book. So I wish you yes. wouldn't. I wish you'd wait. Isn't that weird? And <laughs> I know it. Because you're like, it's I don't so care funny. if tens of thousands of people read it, and I'm grateful that they do. But then the people in your real life, you're like, wait, wait, wait slow down. That's really personal. <laughs> I've had I've had it happen where somebody will tell me something, and I'll say like, I'll, I'll think, how did you know that? And they're like, oh yeah, I shared it in a book. <laughs> exactly. I know. Right. That okay. Run down the list for me of your books real quick. Okay. I don't have too many yet, actually. So my first one was back in 2009, which is like caveman years in the internet. It was Organized Simplicity. And that was a totally different type of book. And then- Oh yeah, um, it was, it was no- spiral bound, wasn't it? Didn't it have like a covered spiral? Yeah, it's a cool book. Um, it So this book was uh, commissioned of me is how I like to say it. So they pitched me with this idea. And this was back when I was super small potatoes on the internet. And I was thinking, I want to write books. This is my in. Um, so I kind of took the job and I still stand by everything in there, but I don't write anything like that anymore. So I just like to disclose that. Okay. And then the next one is blue bike. And then it's this one. That's great. Um, so that so is a lot. Three blue books bike. is a lot. What are you talking about? That's true. That, that is, is true. Okay. I, I you're it. totally right. And I'm starting to mull over. Um, I want to make some kind of compendium thing to at home with kids, like four kids, I mean. And so that's where I'm brainstorming now. But yeah, so far it's these three guys. My main question is what is compendi- compendium? <laughs> what is that word? <laughs> I mean, like a book, like what do you, like a sidekick. Thank I don't you. know. So okay. you got at home in the world, and then I want to make something for parents to give their kids. Got it. Okay. okay. That's at home in the world-ish, but okay. written for kids. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Thank you for teaching me a new word today, Tish. Oh, I might have made it up. I don't know. Oh, no. I, I feel like it's great. I think it's great. It's a real word. Yeah. It is. If people don't know you, it, it is a real world. Now we know. Now okay. We know. That's a great idea. Just something that the parents can hand the kids of like, hey, while we're doing this, or would it be... If we ever decide to do this, or what's the what's the thought behind well, it? So, because at home in the world is purely memoir, it's not prescriptive at all. There's no like this is how to do Where it. Blue it's bicycle just, is more. I, I felt yes. for my life, blue bicycle was prescriptive. I made decisions based yes. off what you said. Yeah, it, it was kind of half and half. It was a little bit of my story, but mostly prescriptive. This one is pure just storytelling, and so like I like to think of it as a book you would take to the lake to just read, or when you're on vacation or something like that. I want to create something like that for the kids where it's like. It's a good story, but they don't know they're learning about the world. Like, they're totally unaware this is educational, but it's actually a story. And so uh, something about being a good global citizen, something about that. I just don't know why yet. Yeah. Now, so we have, I have a good amount of friends that listen to the podcast that want to write books or want to create content. And I think you're, and, and for all of us, me included, it is a great goal and a great hope to get to have books published that are on bookshelves. But I think you're a total professional at showing people that that's not the only way to disseminate good content. Can you kind of talk about like what are some other ways that you see that you're able to spread the messages you want to spread that don't have to be a traditional book deal? Yeah, that's a great question. And honestly, I think it has a lot to do with motive. So what is your motive? I think all good content does one of three things. It either inspires, informs, or entertains. And sometimes it can do all three. But sometimes it can just do one thing, and that's perfectly fine too. So like if what you want to share is mostly entertain. You know, so like Bossy Pants by Tina Fey or something, you know, that's not instructive or inspiring even really. It's just for laughs. So what's a good medium for that and think through that? That could be 
a traditional book, that could be an audio book, that could be a set of podcasts that you pay for. Um, you know what I mean? The, but the, that is story driven. If, if your purpose is to inform, like an, an instructive thing, you could create a class. I mean, I think everything needs to have um, the umbrella of story because we all learn best through storytelling. That's why we remember the sermon illustrations more than the actual sermon. Yeah, right. Um, and so I think everything needs to be driven through story. But if your purpose is to actually instruct, yeah, you can write a book, but you could do the class. You could create, you know, a set of emails that somebody gets. You could, you know, there's all sorts of things. You can create a forum um, where people behind the scenes are like a membership site kind of thing. There's a million ways to do it, but you have to think through what's your purpose first, I think. Yeah, that's right. And and I I never discourage people from wanting to get a book deal. I just don't want all of us to treat the book deal like it is the golden calf. Right. You know, like, because I, I'm grateful to the publishers who let me write books. It is not that at all. And I hope I get to keep doing it for 50 more years. But I also recognize that we're lucky enough to live in a time that you can put content out that you really believe in, in a lot of different ways. Right. And I mean, I'm the same way. I love writing books. That's actually one of my favorite jobs. And so I hope to do it for 50 more years too. But I think most of us out here, out in the world, would love to be J.K. Rowling. And and there's only a tiny percentage, or Stephen King or these guys, there's only a tiny percentage of these, of these writers that that's they, they can just live off the few books they write for the rest of their lives and really do that. I, I think it's I important for people I don't know anybody who end. does. I don't have a single friend who their family or personal full-time income is book money. Right. I don't no, know I don't know anybody either. Yeah. I mean, even the New York Times bestseller people, they still work their tail off yeah, after that's the right. book comes like out. Like John Acuff. Just, John Acuff is a great example. He does not just write books, but he's a New York Times bestseller every time. Right. And so I think you, you got to think of the long game, you know, is it just, you want to, you want to be able to say you wrote a book or do you want to create meaningful stuff for yourself and for other people? Like, you know, think about your motive for your work and, and think about, yeah, I mean, be creative in how you reach people. It's not just the book writing thing. Right. Exactly. It's not the golden calf. And I totally have, I mean, my, with my first book with perfectly unique, I was like, I just want a book on a shelf. And so we self-published. Right. Like my first round, because I was like, I want to hold a book that I wrote. Yeah. You know, and so even if that's your desire, you don't have to get a traditional book deal out of the out of the gates. And I think so many first time authors experience this for the first time. And there's this inevitable letdown afterwards of like, oh, that was it. Yeah. Like, oh, I still need to wake up and do stuff. And that's not to that's not to diss on people who just dream of writing a book because hold on to that dream and keep going for it. But um, yeah, there's there's a lot of reality to it that's kind of tough to face. You and know? I think it's just more fun to go, okay, I have this story I want to tell. What are eight ways I could tell it? One of them <laughs> right. is a traditional book deal. So that is right. one way I could tell it. So maybe we go after that. But there are seven other ways that I could get this content in front of a lot of people. So let's dream up what those seven are and figure out and go for all seven or eight. And whichever door stays open the longest, trust it. Yeah, yeah, and work with your personality. If you're if you like to tell stories, you know, podcasting is a great medium for that. Or I mean like physically tell stories, use your voice. You know, try podcasting. If you do want to write, you know, consider writing a book but also do the blogging thing. Also, I I don't know. Yeah, I'm totally with you. There's so many ways now, and that's a cool thing. Instead of feeling overwhelmed or bummed, think of that as like such an open door in this world. Man, you know? no kidding. There are so many people when I even like YouTube cracks me up that there are like girls who are making a full time hustle, women who are making full time hustle money by doing makeup tutorials. I know. Right? Like they've figured out a really weird way to do what they love and make money doing it. My friend Christy Wright runs the business boutique and that is their whole thing is like teaching women how to make money doing what they love. And there's so many different ways. I mean, my daughter, who is 12 now, she just asked me the other day if she could start a YouTube channel. I was like, okay, well, what do you want it to be about? And she said, I want it to be about bearded dragons, which is a type of lizard. And I'm like, <laughs> Tate that is, is the coolest. I know. I'm like, okay, we can start working on that. That is a very specific niche, but we, right? can, we can go from there. Right. Do you know, I just had a girlfriend tell me that there are YouTube videos on how to fold your underwear. Like every piece of clothes, oh there's YouTube videos that teach you how to fold every piece of clothing you have in your closet. I was like, that is niche of niches, right? Like right. that is the tiniest percent, but people got to know how to do things, I guess, <laughs> including learn about bearded dragons. 
Right? I, I love can't it. believe it. That's adorable. See, I, I think that's a beautiful thing y'all have put. I mean, your kids, there's this, there's nature and nurture, right? But I think a beautiful thing y'all have done is let your three kids be themselves. I've said that to you before. I love seeing how all three of them are who they are. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's like, it's easier to parent that way, really. It might make me feel weird and, you know, like, oh, I don't know, but I mean, parenting to me is the best mirror in the world. Like you see yourself and for good or for bad. So sometimes letting them be themselves makes you feel squirmy. Like, oh my gosh, now I'm faced with my own junk about that. But really in the long run, it's easier to parent that way. I think, you know, it's like, I'd rather them be themselves now than have to uh, figure that out later. Yeah. So. No kidding. <laughs> so when y'all got back from your trip, you landed in Austin, correct? Right. Which we didn't think we were going to do. We thought we were going to go back to Oregon. So yeah. Yeah. Plot twist. <laughs> How's it been being back in Austin? Um, now it's good. At first it was very bumpy and very, why did we do this? Because um, there's a lot. So I'm from Austin, but I hadn't lived here in a decade. Even though I visited at least once a year, it still changed a lot. You know, Austin is, it's always been a cool place to be, but now everybody knows it. And so it's um, a lot of traffic and, you know, it's still hot. And we, <laughs> we um, love that about Oregon summers. And so we miss that. So it was a rough reentry. Honestly, it was harder than the trip itself coming back. But I write about this in the book, like ultimately it's, it's where we need to be and it's a good thing. And I get into this idea. Have you ever heard of the vow of stability? No. Um, okay. So Benedictine monks are the only monks that take four vows. And the first three are, you know, pretty uniformly across all monk. I don't know what you call them. Chapters, clubs. Sure. <laughs> I'm terrible at that. Whatever they are. We're going to call but them the clubs. Benedictine- yeah, I'm clubs. sure they'll love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I have a huge demographic of monks that listen to my podcast. Right. So. Sorry, monks. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, but the fourth one is the vow of stability. And what they say is um, they vow to stay put. And barring any sort of, you know, life-altering situation, they stay put even when things get hard, whenever um, things just seem in conflict, or, I mean, most importantly, when things get boring, um, whenever it just feels... And so they, they're committed to just digging into wherever they're placed and... Um, just being part of the community. And to me, whenever I read that, I realized that it's not so much I suddenly need to be a monk or even need to take that vow per se, because this, you know, I'm still part of the real world, but I realized it is easy for me to just want to up and do something new as soon as it gets boring or challenging or whatever. And that's not healthy. And that's not what I don't think God wants for us ultimately. So um, I read that and it's like, okay, we're just staying put. Even though we want to go back to Oregon, no, we're here. We heard God say we need to move here, and so we are, and so here we are. But it's been good now. I'm glad we are. Uh, Scott Saul is a pastor here in Nashville. I asked him, um, what happens when you stay at a church even when things get hard? And he says, that's when you grow up. Yeah. And I was like, man, that that's it. That's the staying power. That's the reason to stay sometimes. You know, like not every situation should you stay, blanket statement. But of course. Um, but you're right. There's something about the that vow of stability, even to yourself. Like I'm gonna stay here, wherever here is. Until I mean, that's how I feel about Lent, girl. I mean, I we're recording this <laughs> with ten days left of Lent and I want out. But I'm right. like, no, I'm I'm vowing to stay in this until the end. Yeah. Because yeah. It's where the growth happens for sure. I mean, Kyle and I still talk about that. We're in a whole 30 right now. Um, oh, woof. Right now. <laughs> and I'm definitely in that stage. I think I'm on like day 18. So I'm like just over halfway, but I still, it's not close to the end. And the only reason I'm still in it is because I just said I would do it. And because it's like in light of all of my life, what's 30 days? And if I can't handle not eating cheese for 30 days... I need, there are deeper issues. Yeah, that's right. That is more revealing than anything. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I mean, and don't get me wrong. I can't wait to eat cheese again. But in the meantime, this is good for my soul. Even if I know that I can't, I'm not, I don't have dairy issues. I know that. Um, But I still need to do this for me. Yeah. I think that's why things like fast, like a seven day fast with your, with your spiritual community or Lent or app is going like, this isn't about what I'm giving up. This is about my soul. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Totally it always reveals stuff. I love, I love that about that. What you said about your makeup stuff is it's revealing all sorts of stuff you didn't know was oh, even there. Dude. Ugh. I mean, oh, I seriously sat in my counselor's <laughs> office yesterday and I was like, "Listen, I know it's just makeup, <laughs> but we got to talk about some stuff." Yeah, yeah right. it's just it's bad because it's good. It's bad because I'm a human and I'm a seven and I don't want to hurt ever. 
and and I run from it. So, um, okay, so Tish, because the podcast is called That Sounds Fun, my last question is always the same. What sounds fun to you right now? Uh, well, this, like I just said, the vowel stability, so it's going to sound totally different. Honestly, what sounds fun to me right now is there's this particular gelato place in Florence. And, oh, my gosh, it's so good. Um, and it's called Porque No, and, which means why not Yeah, in that's right. <laughs> and, that's oh, brilliant. man, they, it is the best gelato in the world. And it sounds disgusting, but they have grapefruit gelato. And I have, I have not found that anywhere else in the world, like anywhere else even in Italy. And that stuff is so good. And I would give anything for some of that right now. So what sounds fun to me right now is going there. They stay open till midnight because it's a late night culture. Like going there at about 10 p.m. and wandering around Florence with grapefruit gelato. That sounds super fun right now. Man, that uh, I have a friend in Scotland that we often talk about the power of teleportation and what we would do if we had the power of teleportation. And then you just get excited about, you know, new heaven and new earth when when it when I would assume we'll be able to travel very easily when the Lord comes back. And I know, I know. We've talked about that as a family too. Like in heaven, we'll be able to both be in New Zealand and be in Costa Rica yeah, at the same time. That's right. I don't know how it's gonna thing. work, but I believe it. I believe that we'll be able to get I believe that nothing good will be withheld from us. And so exactly. if dinner in Hong Kong and dessert in Florence or what you want, it shall be yours. Oh, man. Can't wait. Um, (laughs) Tish, thank you for being on the podcast. I just love you. I've missed you. I missed you while you were gone. I feel like I haven't really seen you except when I stuck my head in your car for five minutes in Austin, Texas a year ago. So I know. We'll have to do that again. Yeah. I'm glad to talk to you. Thank you. It was fun. Oh, man, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tish. I just loved it. We covered a lot of ground, and I just enjoy her. I am sad we don't live closer to each other and get to see each other more often, but I am thankful for her. Again, her new book is called At Home in the World. It just released on Tuesday, April 18th, and I really hope you'll grab a copy. What a great addition to our summer reading options. Uh, I think you are really going to enjoy it. It's such a fascinating idea of taking you and your family around the world So I hope that you will grab that book. If you enjoyed my conversation with Tish, one of the people that jumped out to me when she talked about coaching was Christy Wright from Business Boutique. So you can pop back a few episodes and hear my interview with Christy about women running businesses and women in leadership and what it looks like to run your own business for women to get paid and make money doing what they love. So check out that episode from Christy Wright. And if it's your first time, welcome. Thanks for being here. I hope you enjoyed hanging out with us today. Feel free to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes of the That Sounds Fun podcast that are coming in the near future. And you can always go back and listen to some of the old ones as well. And if you get a chance, go ahead and rate the podcast. That really helps other people know that this is a fun place for them to hang out as well if they aren't already friends with us. Hey, if you need me for any reason, I am embarrassingly easy to find on the internet. It's Annie F. Downs everywhere. F as in fancy. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, if you need to find me, Annie F. Downs. So today, what I'm going to do now that sounds fun to me is go get my nails done. I don't know what color. I'm looking for something springy. It's going to be bright. It's going to be fun. So I'm going to go get my nails done. That sounds fun to me. Tish's idea sounded incredibly fun, having gelato in France. Okay. So I don't know how you're going to spend your day, but it's probably somewhere on the spectrum, getting your nails painted in your neighborhood or going to Italy for ice cream. But whatever it is, I hope you'll go out there and do something that sounds fun to you. I will see you guys next week.